Okay, tonight, we are starting something new together, and it's, uh, I'm calling it Every Thought Captive. And this is more topical-based, but it is for a reason, because whenever we're talking about apologetics, um, this must be topical-based, uh, because uh, it's, a con it's a theological concept, um, primarily based out of what we call systematic theology, in that you ask a question, ultimately, what does the Bible say about, and then fill in the blank? That's a systematic theology question. Now, if you were to ask, what is Paul's understanding of ecclesiology as we see in the book of Acts, that's a biblical theology question, okay? So we're, we're talking about systematic theology as it relates to apologetics. Is there any warrant? Because there has been kind of this idea that uh, when we say apologetics, um, we're talking about defending the faith, and some would say, well, you don't need to defend the faith. God can defend himself. Uh, well, let's see what Scripture has to say about that. And we're going to look at what exactly this involves from us. Because as I said, I believe on Sunday, unless I said it in my own mind and it didn't come out of my mouth, which happens sometimes, is that apologetics is not just for the unbeliever. We, we have to understand that. That apologetics is for both the unbelieving and the believing. Because if there are roadblocks to our own belief, which many times there are, as we have to admit, then as we confirm these things from the scriptures and looking at things with eyes that see all types of things from all over God's creation and how he has revealed us, uh, himself to us, um, that it confirms what we already believe, right? It confirms within us what we already believe. Like, for example, you can say that you're convinced of Scripture that God is sovereign, right? Like, God is sovereign. Yeah, we know that. Uh, but uh, there, there are times, especially early on, when you say, well, God is sovereign, um, but I don't know about this situation, or I don't know how this works, or I don't know about that. But then um, we come to understand with greater clarity, and as we come to understand with greater clarity, it produces within us a greater uh, trust or dependence on the sovereignty of God, right? You get what I'm saying? And so uh, as we look into these ideas, such as the trustworthiness of the scriptures, and we say, okay, so I didn't know the answer to a lot of those things, and now I do, and I already, had, I already did believe, but this has helped me so much, right? Because there were unanswered questions, and now I'm seeing with, with, with clear uh, eyes. So that's what we're talking about. And I want to approach this with three different texts tonight. And uh, the three texts that we're going to use, go ahead to that first one there, uh, Noah, if you would. The three texts we're going to use are 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. And then the second one is Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. And then we're also going to look at 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. We're going to spend a little bit more time on 2 Corinthians 10, but it feeds into the other two. Okay? What are we doing tonight? What we're doing tonight is we're laying the theological basis from Scripture that this endeavor is, in fact, good and biblical. That's what we're doing tonight. Is what we're going to spend our time on over the next several weeks something that we should spend our time on? And, and can we go to Scripture and say that this is something that we should collectively be seeking out? And I would obviously answer yes, but I want to show that to you tonight. Okay? So let's look together. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 6.
Okay, are we there together? Let's see what it says. Now, what's good, some of you are still turning there, what's good, this is 2 Corinthians. You know, we don't even need to lay the groundwork for what are we talking, who, who is this church? Where, who are these people? What's the con? Where, we already got a pretty good grasp on that, don't we? That's, that feels good, doesn't it, approaching a text like that. Okay, here we go. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Okay? So, what's being said here? Now, I have to work through this text a little faster than we're used to. Um, so, I'm not going to answer every little detail, but we're going to see specifically what his main idea is. Okay? That's my goal. So, what is Paul doing? There are some who are being very critical, judgmental about Paul because they're suspicious of him, which we've actually already, or we already know that, based on where we've come so far in 1 Corinthians. People do not, I mean, they are just very hesitant to fully embrace Paul and his apostleship. And so he just constantly is having to defend himself and say, I really am an apostle. I don't know what else to tell you. I really am, and you need to listen to me. And, and uh, those who are saying, I'm not an apostle, they're causing problems. And then he says, I, Paul, myself, I entreat you, and to entreat is to there's it's a it's a really it's a compound word and it means to call alongside and he's saying listen I Paul I'm calling you to walk alongside me in the meekness and gentleness of Christ as I see the meekness and gentleness of Christ and as I am following him I am calling you to walk alongside me and follow along with me in this path that's what he's saying he says I and then he says who am humble when face to face with you but bold when I am away now why would he say that he is quoting what they are saying about him in a sarcastic way. That's what he's doing. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold when I am away, he's saying, that's what you're saying about me. But yes, I, that guy that you're talking about, uh, yes, I am coming to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And isn't it so funny that he says, by the way, you call me humble when I'm face to face and you do it to basically put me down, but I just want to remind you that our uh, Savior is meek and gentle. Isn't, I mean, that's what he just said. By the way, Christ is meek and gentle, and you call me meek and gentle, and you think it's a bad thing. Uh, just remember who our Savior is. And so he says, anyway, I beg you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Okay, so he's saying, when I come, I hope that you are in a better condition when I come than you are right now, because if you're not, I'm gonna have to come with that boldness you don't think I have. I'm not gonna be so gentle when I come among you next time if you can't come alongside me and hear what I'm saying. So please, I beg you, hear me. 
Hear me when I talk to you about these things. Okay, so what is he trying to say to them? He says in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. This is beginning, the beginning of the idea. Now, he says we, and as I have been trying to show you as we walk through the text together, if we get the pronouns wrong and we think the we means all of us we, when it doesn't mean all of us we, and we apply it to all of us we, then we have a problem, meaning all of us we. Right? We have to know who he's talking to and about in order to properly apply the word of God. That You take like Old Testament passages, for example, that are in reference to a specific people at a specific time in a specific place, and you pull that passage out and you apply it to yourself, like there's an issue with that, because that promise was not given to you, right? So the same thing is true here. So the difference being, sometimes we read a description of something in Scripture, and it... Um, it explicitly tells us something or to do something, right? He says, be like this. Don't be like this, right, for example. But sometimes what we have is we have the example of who Paul says he is and who he will be and what he must be. And by implication, we then follow after Paul and his character, right, and what he's seeking after and what he's doing. Does this make sense, what I'm saying? So we just need to be careful when we read Scripture that we can consistently apply the way that we're interpreting what's being said. So for though we, who's the we? The we are the people that they are demeaning. And specifically, he's referencing the we of uh, Paul and Timothy in this particular situation because that's who wrote the letter, Paul and Timothy together. He also talks about Sylvanus or... Silas, right, who you might remember. Um, and, and it could be, it's just basically those who brought the gospel to them at that particular time because there's a letter or a visit that we're missing in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And so we kind of don't have some information. So, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So, as we start, he's going to unpack this this. In, in the next little bit, but there's warfare. We are waging war, right? Are we waging war, or we're just they waging war? I think we wage war as well, and Paul confirms that in other places of Scripture, doesn't he? We are waging war, and as we fight, do we fight as Paul fights, or do we fight a different way? If Paul fights this warfare as an apostle a certain way, do we also fight this warfare like him, are we apostles? Do we fight this? But is he a believer? Yes. So as believers, do we fight this warfare as he fought it? See, that, that's how we find our application. Although we are not apostles, we are believers, right? And that's where we find our application. Okay? Does that make sense? Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. For we are not waging war according to the flesh. Okay, so what he's going to explain for us is siege warfare. And it is point for point what siege warfare is. And here's what you do in siege warfare. This is, this is what they did at the time. It is well documented that this was the practice, okay? Number one, you tear down enemy walls. Number two, you capture the enemy, and then you punish the rebels. 
That's the three steps of siege warfare. And so you go down, you tear down the enemy's walls. Why do you need to do that? Well, so you can get to the enemy, of course. And then you capture the enemy. And then what you do is you seek to turn them, right? Now, we're not going to wipe you all out necessarily, but if you would bow before us, then you can come on our side, right? But if you will not, well, it's bad news for you. The rebels are punished. And how do you think rebels were punished? They were killed. Yeah. So that is siege warfare. It is exactly what Paul describes next. He says, we are waging war. Yes, indeed. But not according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy what? Strongholds. What is that word for strongholds? Um, now, I guess I have to say that there is, well, I'll get to that when I get to it. Strongholds. What are strongholds? They are simply fortifications or fortresses. That's all they are. Fortifications. Those things that are surrounding where the enemy is at so that you can't get to them. Whatever that fortification is, that's what we're talking about. Okay? Or it is a fortress uh, or whatever, whatever fortification. So what do we do with them? We tear them down. And what are these fortifications? He defines them. What are we destroying? The strongholds. And then he defines what we're destroying next. Arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. That's the stronghold. The stronghold are the arguments and the lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. That's what we destroy. That's our warfare. This is the first step in warfare, of course, right? And so, what are these arguments? Because he says, these arguments are like fortresses. Arguments are calculations or reasonings against the knowledge of God. And then lofty opinions has with it the idea of, of like uh, an arrogant posture towards the knowledge of God, right? So combine those two ideas together and you get quite a picture, don't you? Is you have arguments, that is calculations, reasoning. Here is why this cannot be true. Here are my calculations, here are my arguments. And then on the other side, you have this, you know, this aura about you that's proud and you boast in this and you hold yourself over top the knowledge of God, it cannot possibly be true, right? Every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Arrogant postures. What is this knowledge of God? I think it's important maybe to define, because there are fortifications that must be taken down, and Paul saw it as his job, right, to destroy them, to take them down, right? These calculations, these arguments, these lofty opinions, we're going to take those down. We're going to destroy them. And we're not going to do it according to the flesh, right? That's not how it works. Because the arguments are not of the flesh. We're going to fight this on the spiritual battlefield, which is where it ought to be fought. What is the knowledge of God? I think it's the same thing as he was talking about earlier in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians. So let me just read for you a few verses right there. 
But thanks be to God who, in Christ, always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Did you hear that? Um, We're spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. And it says, so this is what we're doing, right? We're spreading a fragrance. This is good. And some, it says, uh, let me just read it as scripture does rather than summarizing it, okay? For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are being perishing to one fragrance from death to death and another fragrance from life to life. That's what it says. So in other words, as we go about speaking the knowledge of God that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, some smell it, right? As I did Katie's food earlier. And they smell it. And to some, they go, yes. Yes. This is it. This is life itself. How have I never seen this? How have I never smelled this before? And so they smell, and it's, yes, this is what it is to those who are being saved. Now, to those who are not being saved, it is from death to death. So when they smell it, they smell the stench of death. You ever smelled that? So to some, it is the best thing that you could ever imagine. How could you not like this, right? How could you not love this? But to others, they say, that is the worst thing I've ever smelled in my life. And they hate it. So there is no middle ground, is there? To some, the knowledge of Jesus Christ is lovely and beautiful. And to others, they can't stand it. So, it is this knowledge of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we give. Now, here's the issue that we run into, is that we spread this fragrance of Jesus Christ, and some say, I don't like that. So what you do is you modify the fragrance a little bit. Does that smell a little better for you? That smell a little better for you? Let me modify it a lot. In fact, it's a completely different smell. How does that smell to you? Well, I like that one. That one's not too bad. Well, we'll go with that then. Some call that watering down the gospel, but if you water down the gospel, it is not the gospel. So that's what's happening there, right? You give somebody something and they don't like it, and you don't like not being liked. You don't like when people don't like what you're saying. And so you will just modify it and say something else, unfortunately. But we don't give them that. We give them what? The knowledge of God. And what are people having arguments against? The knowledge of God the truth of God. See, when you give a lie, there's no real reason to destroy that argument. You know what I mean? It's like, well, it's, we're already good on that, you know, right? We, we don't even need to mess with that. Let's just leave that alone. But now give us something of truth. Uh, we're going to have thoughts about that, right? Okay. Um, by the way, second, in Second Peter, Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'm just saying, I'm hitting at an element here that, yes, this is for the unbeliever, but you know this is for the believer too, right? Have you ever had in your own heart and mind things that wanted to lead you away? You formulated arguments and lofty opinions against the knowledge of God yourself. And so we are told in Scripture by Peter, grow in the grace and the knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in the knowledge of God. We all need to be doing that. We should be growing in our knowledge of God right? You are not beyond having these arguments yourself, and then we need to take your arguments and destroy them, right? 
So we all need to be prepared. Make sure that we're thinking right thoughts, right? That's why it's very important, another reason it's very important, that we are in this together, right? And we hold one another accountable to the truth of the knowledge of God, and we're not off on our own, right? Doing our own thing, thinking our own thoughts. Okay, good. So what do you do next? Well, after you destroy the stronghold and you're in there, right, what do you do now? You're there. You capture the enemy. And that's what he says next. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see it? You see it in, your, in the text? That's what you do next. See, it's all about the thought life. It's the mind. This is, this is where we're talking about. So we break and we, we destroy their arguments and their lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. And then what do you do once you're in there? You take those thoughts captive to do what? To obey Christ. To follow Christ. Do you need some of your thoughts taken captive to obey Christ? Or are all of your thoughts perfectly aligned to the knowledge of God and they are perfectly following in obedience? You need some of your thoughts taken captive as well, don't you? So we take every thought captive to obey Christ, don't we? Is that our goal? Every thought we have, that's hard. Has every thought you've had today been an obedience to your Savior? It's not true for me. No, every thought I've had has not been an obedience to my Savior. And a lot of them I, I know, I know that it wasn't. But sometimes there are thoughts that we don't even know that that's not an obedience to our Savior, right? So someone else hears that thought. And what should we do as loving brothers and sisters? Destroy that argument. Destroy that lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Because what? What do we want? To take every thought captive. Break in and get them and put them in submission to Christ, right? That's what he's saying to do. So they've been defeated, right? But there's a choice. You can either accept your defeat, change sides, submit to the Lord, or you can remain loyal to the opposing side. I mean, isn't that the choice? That's the choice, isn't it? Have you ever felt yourself in that balance of what do I do now? I hear your argument. I, like, I hear what you're saying from Scripture, and here I stand in what I want to think and what I want to do and what you're telling me and what I see in Scripture, and I know that's probably the right thing to do, but here I am. I'm poised. I, what direction am I going to go? Do you know what I'm talking about? How many times have you decided to remain with the opposing side? And how many times have you said, I must be in submission to my Lord? You know what I'm talking about. Now, so this is not only for the unbeliever, is it? But we understand how it also is for the unbeliever, right? And then what do you do? Well, you punish the rebels, of course. And it says, I beg of you, right? Well, let me, let me back up here. It says, we destroy arguments, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. What does that mean? That's a little confusing, right? I believe what he's saying is we are ready to punish every thought and person who has that thought who does not come alongside and take those thoughts they're having captive to obey Christ 
It's bad news. And that's why he said, I beg of you that when I come, I'm not going to have to be harsh with you. Right? This is what he's talking about. So he's saying, you better make those thoughts captive now because when I come, there will be punishment. And Paul's ready to dish it out. That's what he's saying. How does that play itself out? Let's talk a little bit more. What, what's the idea here? We are at war. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Um, and the war is what? Is spiritual. The war is spiritual. Okay, I might summarize it by saying this. Arguments and opinions will be raised against the knowledge of God. Yes. And the believer should wage this war with the goal of taking every thought captive to Christ. Right? Or do we hear arguments and lofty opinions and we say nothing? Both from your fellow believer and from the unbeliever. What do you do with those things that people say that against the knowledge of God, against the gospel of Jesus Christ? These great calculated arguments against the, the faith? What do we do with that? We leave it alone? Or should we make it our goal that we make every thought captive, we, we try to take every thought captive to obey Christ? Now, when, does the, when, when is the disobedience punished? Is it punished by you ultimately? I mean, we should know the answer to that, right? Well, if you're not going to obey me, then, you know, I, that's not how it works, right? We don't beat people down if they won't listen to us. That's not what we're talking about. However, will their, will their disobedience be punished? But are we the ones to give the wrath of God? No, we leave these things to the wrath of God. Now, for the believing community, is there a sense in which this disobedience is punished? Yes, that's what church discipline is, Right? So we see, again, both sides. It will be punished either inside the believing community by church discipline or outside the believing community with the wrath of God. Are either of these good options? No, it's not what we want. So we want to beg people, right, to take every thought captive to obey Christ. All right, a couple of quotes here. One from John MacArthur. I thought it was really good. Um, it says, it is not a question of whether Christians will fight the spiritual war for the truth against lies. The battle is unavoidable. But those who are successful in the conflict will imitate Paul's compassion, courage, competence, and caution. And so it's this imitation of Paul that I was speaking about earlier when we read and we attempt to apply the scriptures. Because he's not necessarily telling them what to do. He's describing what he is doing, which is different, right? He's saying that's what we do in our work of ministry. That's what we do. We take every thought captive. But what we're reading is that is what he's doing, yes. And we imitate Paul's compassion, courage, competence, and caution. I think those are great words uh, to follow. I, I agree with that. All right, so these others just fall in line. So let's, let's look at Ephesians 6 and 1 Peter 3 because I think they just very easily, I don't even have much on, on either of these because they speak for themselves within this realm of thought, okay? Knowing that the battle is spiritual, how then in this warfare do we dress ourselves, prepare ourselves for battle? You already know the answer to this, don't you? And the answer is? 
The armory of God. Yeah, okay. A little sl delayed, but that's, the answer was right. Yeah. Yes, with the armor of God. So let's read that passage and remind ourselves of how that might apply in this situation, right? So it says, again, Paul, right? Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? Why is that? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not where the fight is fought. But against rulers and authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Pause right there. We're going to continue reading in verse 13, but I just want to remind you, this is real. This has become, become so fictionalized, hasn't it? That Satan is not real, angels are not real, demons are not real. I'm here to tell you that Satan is real, angels are real, demons are real, demonic forces and the heavenly place, all these things that are being said in scripture are real. They're not fake, they're not make-believe. They are very real. There are cosmic powers over this present darkness. That hasn't changed, that's true today against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so if we think that we can destroy something here on the fleshly, earthly level, we're wrong. That's not where the battle is fought. It's the same thing Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians. It's the same thing he's saying, just from a different angle. It's the same conversation, though. So picking up in verse 13. So therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Having done all? That, that sounds like it requires some effort, doesn't it? Don't you think? Did you all read that too? So we need to be very careful that we are those people who are ready to put in the effort. Wouldn't you say? Is that a good application of the things we just read? Even just stopping right there that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Have you done all there is to stand firm in the armor of God today? Would you say that that's true of yourself? I did everything I could do to stand firm in the armor of God today. I, I don't know that I have. That's my honest answer. What about yours? Should we be more ready? Should we be pressing into this reality ever more? That we might be further and further clothed with the armor of God every day and further and further strengthened in the strength that he supplies? Yes, we should. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, and in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication and to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. There it is again, right? Do you hear the effort, the work that this takes? This is not someone just sitting and waiting and getting wrapped up in the cares and pleasures of the world. This is someone who has this on the forefront of their mind and their effort and their energy. This is what I must be ready to do, right? That's the picture. If we are at war and we pretend as if we are not at war, what is going to happen when the war meets your doorstep? You're not ready. But if you are dressed for battle every day, then you are ready when it comes. 
Wouldn't you agree? But it takes effort, doesn't it? Wouldn't you agree that it also takes effort? It does. It takes effort. And so to that end, keep alert all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that my words might be given to me and opening in my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So how might we summarize that? Of course, a lot to say there, but we might just say simply we must be equipped with the armor of God, both defensively and offensively, right? A lot of this is defense, but there is one particular thing we have as offense, and we don't need anything more than that as offense, but we have the word of God, don't we? So ultimately then, what is this telling us? If, if, if our offensive weapon is the word of God, what should we be trained in primarily? The word of God. And if we are not properly trained in the word of God, it is like a soldier who doesn't know how to use a sword. How effective is he going to be in the day of battle? Not effective. Right? So also when we're talking about these lofty opinions and arguments, where should our counter arguments come from? From the word of God. That's right. So 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17, we'll end there. I know we're going pretty quick. This is just big, big ideas, right? What we're looking at tonight, big ideas. So those two were from Paul. This one is from Peter. And wouldn't you know it, he, he basically says the same thing, but from his own perspective. First Peter 3.13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So have no fear of them, and nor be troubled. So pause right there. Again, we say, if you just do what is right, and you are equipped with the armor of God, and you do what you know the word of God says to do, guess what? It will only ever be good for you. Nothing bad will befall you. Everyone will love you. Things will only ever be in your favor. Isn't that kind of maybe? Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And I think to that, a lot of people. A lot of people are there to harm me if I am zealous for what is good. But what's he saying? He's saying, but really, I mean, really think about it. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, listen, you will be blessed you know that? Or possibly you right now knowing in your heart and in your conscience according to the word of God that you're doing the right thing and yet you're feeling beat up for it. You will be blessed even though you might not be feeling that right now. So you should be encouraged by that. Although externally you might not feel it or see it or experience it, but you will. You will. So have no fear of them, and don't be troubled. Yeah. We need to hear that one every day. Well, at least I do, right? Um, have no fear and don't be troubled. Oh, okay, that's easy. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy and always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Oh, what was just said there? So I don't just walk around 
not being prepared and when people throw things in my face because I'm acting or saying or not doing something and people throw it in my face, right? Persecution, in a sense. How am I to respond to that? You better be prepared to give a defense for why you're doing what you're doing, why you're saying what you're saying. You need to be prepared to give a defense. And that is the word apologia, which is where we get apologetics from. That's what apologetics is, a defense of the faith. It is biblical. Always be prepared. We should always be prepared. Are you prepared? Are you always prepared for everything you say and do as a believer? You're, I'm prepared to give a defense for that perfectly. From where? Uh, from the word? Are you trained in the word? Are you ready? Is your sword ready? And how should you do it? Well, with gentleness and respect. That's counter-Christian culture. Right now, we say, here's what we believe as Christians, according to the Bible, and here's why we believe it, and I'm going to say it in such a way that I'm going to demean you, I'm going to disrespect you, and I'm going to act like you are the most ugly thing on the planet, and you are the scum of the earth, and you, sh you should just wallow in it, right? I want bad things to happen to you. That's how we give a defense for the faith. Wrong. It's, it's the exact opposite of what we're to do. When we give a defense for the faith, they should see Christ in us as the words are coming out of our mouth. And that's why Paul says, and I love that he says it, and so I beg you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble with you, but bold when I am away. All right? And again, that's sarcasm. But he's saying, meekness and gentleness, do this with gentleness and respect. It's very important, your character matters. When we're defending the faith, character matters. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your, listen to what it says, good behavior in Christ might be put to shame. What are they seeing primarily that caused this whole problem? Your behavior. Your behavior was the witness of Christ. And so when they asked you why you're doing or not doing, you gave a defense. And what did you give a defense with? With the word of God. And when you gave the word of God, you gave it in the knowledge of God and you gave them the gospel. Right? And how did you give it? With gentleness and respect, no matter how they responded. Gentleness and respect. So those who revile your good behavior in Christ might be put to shame. Those who hate what you do and what you say and what you don't do and what you won't say, those who hate your message, they hate the smell of it. If they do not take every thought captive to obey Christ, their punishment is coming. They will be put to shame. It's the same thing, different words. For it is better for you to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. What? <laughs> If you do good, people may hate you for it, and you will suffer for it, but that's better that you suffer for doing good than for suffering for doing evil. Wouldn't you agree? I agree, but it doesn't mean I like it. But I agree. And so what are we called? To be prepared. So 
how might we summarize this, that we must be prepared to defend the beliefs that form our behaviors. Why do you do what you do? Or maybe we don't know, actually. Maybe there are certain things that we do or don't do, we refuse to do, and I don't actually know, I don't know why I do that, but I think everybody should. I don't know why, and I can't give you a biblical reason, but I, you better do it or not do it, right? No, that's not how we operate. We should be prepared to give a defense. That means we should be engaged with our minds, and our minds should be informing our behaviors. But what should be informing our mind? The Word of God, that every thought we have would be taken captive to obey Christ. And if every thought we have is taken captive to obey Christ, what will happen? That our actions will show that to the world, right? That's how it happens. So what are we going to do over these next few weeks? I'm going to throw out some of the, some of the topics that we're going to address. And uh, what I would really like from you is your feedback and suggestions, ideas, things that have come up for you that, in addition, that we could cover. Okay? So here are some of the, and you don't have to give them to me right now. I want you to think about it. Okay? Um, so here's some of the things we're going to cover. What are some of the lofty opinions and arguments uh, thrown out at Christianity. Christianity can't be true. Bible can't be true. This whole thing is false. Here's some of the, I need to deconstruct my faith because obviously these things are not true, right? These are the kind of things we're talking about. Um, we're going to cover the problem of evil, the problem of hell, and other moral issues that people say there's problems with the Bible because it's, it, God is a moral monster, right? That kind of thing. Um, why does evil exist if God is good and sovereign? Something's a problem right? Okay. We're going to cover also the church being sin in the church and also denominations. Why are there so many denominations if you say Christianity is true, but there's all these different churches and you all believe different things? That's why I can't be a Christian, right? That's, that's an argument. Exclusivism, the exclusive nature of the gospel. What about people who have never heard the gospel? The man, the famous man on the island, what happens to him, right? Can't be true. Uh, another thing is the lack of empirical evidence or the science versus faith debate. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Contradictions in Scripture, right? This is thrown up all the time, contradictions in Scripture. Um, the creation account, genealogy of Jesus, sovereignty versus free will. It's funny that even unbelievers see a contradiction between sovereignty and free will in the Bible. Some believers do not see that, but anyway, that's interesting. And they say it's a reason to not believe the Bible. So anyway, all these things being said, those are, those are some of the categories that I'm going to cover. Okay? Problem of evil, problem of hell, moral issues, the church, sin, denominations, exclusivism, lack of empirical evidence, science versus faith, contradictions in Scripture. These are some of the things that I'm going to cover. But there may be some specific things that maybe someone has asked you, someone is believing, someone has thrown an argument in your face. And I would really like to know what those are, because I'm sure it's not happened to just you alone. But even if it has, I'd like to still address it so that we can be what? Prepared. Right? Prepared. And as we prepare ourselves, what does it do? It helps us in engaging the unbeliever. It helps ourselves right? Grow in strength and knowledge of God, confidence, faith, obedience, but then it also helps us to keep one another accountable to these things. It does all, all of the above. 
So we're going to take a few weeks and focus on this together. Does this all make sense, what we're going to do? And so what I'd like for you to do is at any time, send me an email or a text or the old-fashioned way, just tell me face-to-face. And, uh, but the problem with that is you better write it down and hand it to me or something, okay? Because uh, I will forget, uh, probably. Okay? But I, I would really like, please, I'm asking for your participation. Okay? So send those to me, however, however you might do that. And uh, looking forward to this time together. But we'll pray for tonight and we'll be done, okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time in your word together tonight. And I pray that as we uh, unfold these things from your word, that you would help us to be obedient to scripture, that we might take every thought captive to obey Christ, and that we might be prepared to give a defense, that we might be further clothed with the armor of God, that we might recognize that this battle is spiritual. And so therefore, we must be ready spiritually. So help us, Lord. We need your help. We need your word. We need your spirit. I pray that you would ready us in the gospel. Make us gospel ready. Help us to not be afraid at those who hate the stench of the message of Jesus Christ. But help us to be firm and strengthened Lord, that we might have in our hearts a desire to see all thoughts taken captive to obey Christ, including our own. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you guys so much for being here, and I'll see you Sunday morning.